Welcome back, peeps, to Perfect Dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Now with your amazing hosts, Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. This episode brought to you by Storyblock. Build anything and publish everywhere. Hey, Perfect Peeps. Welcome back. See, we got a few few viewers already. Uh, that's exciting. We were just talking about how many live viewers we're getting and commenting on, so that's really good to see. Um, today, we're talking all about Meltano, and we have with us Nao Man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to be on the show and uh, happy to give a demo later on of what Meltano can do for people. That's really exciting. Do you want to just give us a little bit about like your background and kind of why you started the, the business? Yeah, um, so my background, I've been programming since I was like nine years old, stopped myself to program uh, all the way through high school and from like 11 to 16, I was doing freelance PHP web development. I figured out there were actually people willing to pay an 11 year old to write code for them as long as like no one asks any difficult questions about invoices and text IDs and whatever. Um, I, I Basically, all the while through high school, I was doing a lot of development for myself and for some clients and I taught myself how to build iPhone and Mac applications. And at some point, I sort of rolled into this little startup in the Netherlands where we were building software for uh, bed and breakfast owners to manage all of their online presence and guest communication. And through this uh, project and, and a conference I went to in Athens of all places, I ran into uh, Sid Sibrandi, uh, now the founder and CEO of GitLab, which at the time was just a tiny, you know, five person, whatever startup. And he and I kept running into each other at conferences around the Netherlands. And his parents actually ended up using my, uh, you know, product that we had built for bed and breakfast because they had a bed and breakfast in the Netherlands. And that led to me joining GitLab uh, as, as employee number 10, just as it was going through um, Y Combinator program in, in Mountain View. Uh, and then since then, this was around 2015, I've been working I had worked at GitLab for about five years and uh, saw it, you know, grow to 1,400 people and now 2,000 that went public last year. It's been a crazy ride. Uh, and somewhere in that story, once it had reached 1,400 people and I was remembering the old good old days with 10 people, I was really feeling that itch to go back to something small again. Uh, but I didn't really want to give up the sort of the culture and the remote work that GitLab allows and the ability to sort of combine travel and, and really set your own working hours and all of that stuff. Um, so I found this best of both worlds option in, in, in joining this and internal project at GitLab called Meltano, where they were trying to build essentially an, an end-to-end data platform for data teams to collaborate with all of these software development best practices built in. Uh, so I joined that project inside GitLab in 2019. In 2020, I ended up taking over as general manager. Uh, and then last year in, uh, in early 2021, we spun out of GitLab as a, as a new independent startup um, and uh, with some funding that we raised. And now a year later, we have a team of 16 people. We just closed another round. We just launched Meltano 2.0. Uh, and I can't wait to show you sort of the end-to-end data platform that Meltano allows you to build just like any other software project. That's a really awesome story that it like started internally and you were able to grow so much that it was able to break out. Yeah, I, I find like the like Trello and Slack and all those things that came from companies and they like kind of pop out the side. It's really interesting to like hear that growth story behind it. I am kind of curious, like since you were there so early in, in GitLab, um, what was it like going through that kind of VC portion of it and, and what GitLab looked like? Did that help you for making Meltdown? Yeah, 100%. I mean, when we joined GitLab, 
like I said, it was just 10 people. Uh, and, and from day one, it had been all remote because GitLab started out as an open source project back in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. And it wasn't until a year later or so that Sitsi Brandi, this Dutch entrepreneur programmer, realized, hey, there might be an opportunity to build a business around this open source technology. But the open source community already had hundreds of people in it. So even when a company started growing, we sort of had to work with people across time zones. We had to do things very asynchronously and text-based. So GitLab being all remote is very much a function of there already being a GitLab community around the world before a company started sort of building itself around that. And in the early days, we never felt like a 10-person team because we were interacting just as much with all of these community contributors as we were you know, with each other that were essentially getting paid to do it full-time. Um, so from then, there was kind of like slow company growth up until that 10 people point. And then with the Y Combinator experience, it started going up and to the right in a, in a crazy way. So in the space of five years, I saw this tiny 10-person startup grow into a 1,400 person enterprise business with however many millions in annual recurring revenue. And now with Meltano, that's definitely given me the confidence that I sort of know what the next couple of years are roughly going to look like. I know that some of the chaos we're experiencing right now is sort of ex you know, expected and, and, and the way it's supposed to be to a degree. But I've also seen the ways that we're going to have to change our processes and, and the way that the organization has to scale over the coming years. And that means that uh, it's not just some scary thing where I'm constantly second guessing myself, like, oh, are we on the right track? It's something where I have some level of confidence that I've been here before. This is, rec this is recognizable enough to what I saw previously. Uh, and uh, we're just on our own journey, but definitely sort of tracking the, the GitLab story and trying to hit some of the same high marks. And then when when you talk about like it it kind of started inside of GitLab, what what is the process for like taking something that was part of that company out? Is there a certain percentage that you have to leave behind? Like what does that look like? Yeah, so interestingly, in some of these examples you mentioned earlier, like technologies coming out of companies in the data space, there's a lot of examples of this, like, you know, Airflow and Superset, and there's a ton that were built inside organizations like uh, like Netflix, Airbnb, whatever. Um, and in most of those cases, it was a, a sort of a tool that the data team built for themselves. And then someone realized like, hey, this is now open source, but I, as the person who maybe was the original maintainer, can just spin out and see if I can build an organization around it, a company around it, which is really awesome. But the GitLab story is a little bit different because from day one, GitLab realized that there was an opportunity to sort of do the same that GitLab had done for the software development space by building this end-to-end -end tool that entire teams can collaborate in uh, to sort of apply that to the data space where tooling didn't really follow those same philosophies. There wasn't version control, um, no concept of like CICD so that you know whether you're not going to break stuff before it goes live. And uh, the teams were more used to working in little silos, like the person that does the extract and load is not the person that does the analysis and they maybe don't talk as much as they could. So GitLab realized there's an opportunity here. And if we work on this internally for a while, we will build something that GitLab will benefit from and that the broader open source community might also. So there was always this, in, uh, this, this intention for Meltano to eventually spin out and, and you know, kind of go its own route through either as just a proper subsidiary or business unit of the bigger GitLab or as a standalone company. And we ended up picking that last, last route. And considering that GitLab had spent you know, multiple years, multiple people full-time on this project because they knew there was something here, uh, of course, GitLab did end up uh, taking some of the equity in return for uh, sort of the intellectual property that they uh, handed over to Meltano that had multiple years of investment in it. So it's not a typical startup founding story, but we also have amazing support from uh, GitLab CEO, Sitsi Brandi, who sits on our board. And generally, um, the lessons we learned at GitLab to build a really successful commercial open source company are very much applicable to uh, to what we're on doing ourselves now. 
Yeah, that's really cool, especially like all the IP and stuff like that. It, it feels like it's all like solely your own now, even though they have like a pretty yeah. vested interest. So it's kind of a win-win on both sides there. I have a really random question. Where did the name no come from? <laughs> hey, that is a really good question, actually. So there's a story here. I, I don't know exactly how someone came up with this, but it's an acronym that stands for sort of the stages in the data lifecycle. So it's Model, Extract, Load, Transform, Analyze, Notebook, and Orchestrate. Oh, my Meltano. God. And it just amazing. sounds good. Like, it works really well. Uh, it's yeah. Cool, easy to write, pronounce. Hey, prop, yeah. Props for being able to remember the acronym. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've had this question a lot of times. I, I know it by heart now. I could probably do it in my sleep. If you woke me up and poked me and say, Meltano, I'd probably just, you know. <laughs> That's really cool. It's impressive. You can come up with an acronym and it still sounds cool like that. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious, if you don't mind reaching behind you, do you want to introduce us to a, a friend or two you have back there? Yeah, I mean, I'll just grab one. That's easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, as you can see also on my uh, hoodie here, the oh, little nice. purple dragon called Meltano, purple-blue, depending on how the camera or the printing does it. Um, that's our, our mascot, Meltano, the, the data ops dragon. Melty, the data ops dragon, rather. Melty! And completely coincidentally, Melty. And completely coincidentally, a couple weeks after, as a team, we had decided purple dragon, that's going to be it. I was walking in this mall in Mexico City, and there was a toy store there, and they had this purple dragon in the window. So I went in, and I'm like, how many do you have in stock? I need to have them and they had like 10 or so that we just walked away with and then they said like i'm sorry but the line is is discontinued so there won't be any more so we were really sad but also really happy that we got the first 14 and now of course everyone on the team has one and then like a month later we got a call from their like warehouse saying hey we found another bag of stray purple dragons do you want them too because we're not even planning to put them in the store anymore um so then we ended up with another 10 and now everyone on the team and the next couple people that will join uh will get a melty Oh, oh, so that brought up another question. So how many people are on your team right now? Uh, we're 16 people right now. Uh, we've got a couple openings up. Um, you can find those if you go to meltano.com slash jobs. But uh, yeah, 16 people. And a year ago when we spun out of GitLab, we were free. And you know, a year and two, three months ago, I was just by myself. So it's been a really, really special year seeing uh, Meltano spread, Melty spread its wings and uh, you know, the community sort of seeing what we can do with a bigger team boards is it the greenhouse.io one uh yeah that's what it that's what it redirects to it, it might actually the, the the latest opening might not be listed of course like a lot of companies with the um market slump we have slowed down our hiring plan a little bit uh but uh, if people are curious and joining us full-time on the project definitely check that out but it's an open source project so if you're just interested or you want to contribute uh, once i've shown a little bit more of what it actually is uh meltano.com slash slack is the slack community and of course on github slash meltano you can find us as well so we, we've kind of talked about like your backstory and like how meltano occurred but we haven't really talked about what meltano is we're going to jump <laughs> over to our uh sponsors and when we come back i want you to tell us all about meltano and then we'll jump into a demo real quick sound good let's do it awesome here is our story block sponsor <laughs> Got it right. we know that creating content can be a tedious balancing act Developers want flexibility to make seamless digital experiences, while content teams need the tools to work independently. We make changes and are left to watch everything fall apart. We met our limits using plugin after plugin and waiting weeks for edits. All for this. We knew it was time to rebuild the blocks. Storyblock gives marketers creative control and use a visual editor to actually see what they are doing 
and developers are no longer restrained to a set of technology. Storyblock has made it simple for each market with localization and personalization tools and allows you to publish content on all channels and all devices. Truthfully, we all wanted the same thing, to deliver the right information to the right destination at the right time. Awesome. I tried to make this auto. Yeah, it's a catchy song. I know. It's really it's really good background music. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as far as Meltano goes, uh, I'm gonna just pop up a, a little image of your um homepage. And forgive me, folks, if I'm talking even slower than normal. I'm sick sick this today, so uh things are not as good as they usually are. Um, so this is Melitano's homepage, and hopefully that can help just kind of illustrate it for uh, other people. I I'm love curious. the cute little animation. Can, can you tell us? Yeah, I love the animation. Can you tell us a little more just about Melitano and kind of what you're trying to uh, make happen? Yeah, absolutely. So I hinted at this a little bit already a moment ago, comparing it a little bit to the end-to-end -end story that the GitLab has become uh, so well-known for, this end-to-end product platform for the entire software development lifecycle. Um, and Meltano is, is essentially the realization of a similar platform uh, that brings these software development best practices to the data lifecycle. But there are significant differences here too, because when people build data platforms today, um, often you would either pick some end-to-end -end tool that does it all, all the way from extracting data from various sources to allowing you to put the dashboard together, or you end up using sort of standalone tools that are really good at one particular thing, like uh, one tool for extract and load, one for data transformation, another one for the BI analytics side of things, and then maybe some tools in between for the like data validation or data catalogs, but you end up with these seven, whatever, five, six, seven tools sort of brought together. And um, these are often separate SaaS services or separate self-managed components. And putting them all together, bringing, you know, uh, realizing those integrations between all the components is a manual effort that requires a lot of ad hoc sort of duct tape, which maybe works and it's really cool once you've got it up and running, but it also becomes really hard to maintain after the fact. Uh, if you want to swap out a component or change a configuration or just try something new, because it's kind of brittle and really hard to uh, maintain. So what we've realized is that data platform uh, that an organization uses to allow you know, the people to answer questions about the way the product is used or the way the marketing campaigns are working um, should really be thought of as a software project in its own right, where the components that you use, the way they're configured, the way they're connected together should itself be version controlled. And you should be able to use CICD to uh, val verify that the pipelines you've built don't accidentally break the dashboard down the stream, which right now is really difficult if all those things live in their own little SaaS worlds and a change in place A, uh, you cannot really predict what will happen in you know, downstream um, if you don't have a great way of bringing this all together in one place. So with Meltano, you can build your entire data platform like a software project out of these best-in-class open source components like uh, the Singer library of connectors for extract and load, DBT for data transformation, Airflow for the workflow orchestration, and then uh, since 2.0 was released about two weeks ago, supersets for the BI side of things. All of these are open source components that you can already download and set up standalone. But with Meltano, that entire experience becomes a lot easier and you get all of these software development advantages of isolated environments, version control, and CI/CD for every aspect of your data stack. Um, and you found one of the pages that's sort of uh, on the website that lays out these different stages and the tools that we've chosen there. And if you go back to the homepage again, you can kind of uh, look at that graphic 
and think of Meltano essentially as that motherboard, the different tools as the chips, and then uh, the data sources, you can see them on the left, the laptop showing the analysis on the right, and then behind the scenes, you have the data warehouse, which is the only component of the data platform that cannot currently be managed with Meltano, because this is typically some um, a SaaS product like Snowflake or BigQuery on GCP, uh, which Meltano currently doesn't um, you know, deal with besides allowing you to connect with it. So is if you are building a data platform, Meltano is the easiest way by far to set it all up in a way that is maintainable and scalable. And it actually allows your whole team to collaborate in one place with a lot of confidence that you won't accidentally break production. So my my only experience on this side of the data ops um, was in SAP and we did a lot through like PI. So we would take in uh, like XML or whatever service you want to name and like we'd take it through and run it through PI and do the ETL and then we'd drop it off into the BI like data lake side of things. Um, could you take some sort of setup like that and actually like swap out? Are you saying real words? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like... AJC in the chat said he literally has no idea about data ops and I'm the same way. And I felt like that conversation was what we experienced a little bit with the Jamstack with that separation yeah. of things and bringing them together. But like you just said a bunch of words. Can you explain any of those words? Yeah, sorry. So a couple couple terms in there. So SAP is a, a large, um, yeah, what do you even call SAP? It's a not a I mean, in the comments here, AJC WebDev is right to be scared. Like SAP is, is not <laughs> a fun tool scared. you want to be bringing into your Slack anymore in yeah. 2021 and 2022, really, if, unless you really have to. Yeah. So um, as a large ERP, there's another acronym I'm, I'm throwing out there. <laughs> um, SAP does a bunch of things and it has kind of a core, but there's systems in there. So there's PI, which is process integration. Uh, don't quote me on these. It's been at least seven years since I've done the SAP. Um, so when that's in there, you can send like XML or a REST service into it. And then the ETL. So help me with, the, help me with that one. Extract, transform, load. There you go. It basically takes data and moves it to a correct format that you want to ingest. Like that's, that's it in a nutshell. And so after that, if you're doing like large amounts of data, like let's say you're doing this through IoT or something like that, and you want to ship all of that into a data lake, like you have to have that whole process kind of um, in place to, to make that happen. So I'm kind of curious, like maybe that's not a perfect scenario, but can you name something that like you could swap in and out and then put it in like GCP or put it in AWS and their data lake or whatever? Yeah, I mean, so these days, uh, at least in sort of our little part of the marketing community, no one is using SAP-related technology for data integration or, <laughs> or ELT. Um, AJC WebDev in the comments pointed out correctly that uh, there's also ELT, and it is useful to talk about this difference for a second because... Um, the letters here are extract, load, transform, and the difference is whether you do the transformation after loading or before. Mm -hmm. And loading here doesn't mean loading from somewhere. It means loading into the data warehouse. The extraction step is when you connect with all kinds of data sources, pull out the data from the API, and then the loading step puts it in the data warehouse. The question is where you do the data transformation to change that schema that you get from the APIs and turn it into something that is more amenable to analytics and the kinds of questions you want to ask from your BI tool. So traditionally, there was a transformation 
automation step where the data would come in in some kind of like message stream format and on the fly, it would change those messages to the desired format. And then the load step loads it into, uh, you know, what is often Snowflake or BigQuery these days. But as of a couple of years ago with the emergence of DBT, which stands for Data Build Tool uh, and GetDBT as a website, really awesome open source technology. There's this... Um, kind of shift in this in the in the industry where transformation is starting to take place in the warehouse after the information has been loaded um, with SQL. So the transformations, and you'll see this in the demo as well, are essentially just a, a SQL query that um, you know targets a specific database schema that is pretty raw and it's exactly what you get from the API. And then this SQL query itself is a select query that then um, represents sort of the new schema in terms of the old schema. And then you can choose to either materialize that as a table or as a view. And that means that instead of the transformation being sort of on the fly in the middle of the stream and needing like Python code and all kinds of difficult stuff, now um, data analysts who know SQL can take over some of that transformation and modeling work, which previously would have been a data engineering task. So with Meltano, we use Singer for the extract and load steps. Singer is this open source standard for data connectors. It has a library of more than 300 connectors for different sources and destinations. Uh, DBT is the transformation tool that allows you to for, you know, modify this data in the, um, in the, I'm blanking because you changed the screen and I got distracted. Anyway, DBT lets you change the data in the data warehouse, which is often Snowflake. The best page, if you want to show it actually, is hub.meltano.com, um, which will show you the Meltano hub listing all of the plugins that we support on Meltano, including those 300 different uh, connectors. But anyway, so DBT for transformation, then Airflow is a workflow orchestrator, also open source that manages the scheduled pipelines uh, and DAGs, directed acyclic graphs, if you wanna uh, get more technical than just simple, sequential pipelines and then superset is the open source bi tool at the end and there's a lot of old school tools that people could use to do this some tools that did everything in one place or a whole different combinations you can use with different options at each stage in the journey uh, but meltano is focused on these open source components because it's really important when you're building a data platform like software to be able to run the entire thing on your local machine in your staging environment in production on a feature branch like preview environment and that's not really doable if it's just different SaaS tools living in their own little uh, kind of walled off gardens or kingdoms or whatever you want to call yeah. it. That's really cool. Um, as, as far as like that feature branch thing, just to tie out that a little bit more. Um, so basically you must have like uh, a composable architecture that you have for your like normal apps operation side of things. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's when you kind of create your CI CD all in code. Um is that kind of how you orchestrate this side of it too? Yeah, so Meltano is in a way data platform as code. So it all just ends up being defined in a YAML file, all these different stages in the pipelines. And then you can use it on top of an existing DevOps platform like GitHub or GitLab and use the existing GitHub Actions or GitLab CI functionality or CircleCI or whatever you want to use to um, run tests across entire your pipeline from start to end. And you can use something like Airflow to uh, to run these pipelines on a schedule in production. So I, I uh, infrastructure as code, we are sort of one level above that where we're data platform as code essentially. And then um, we allow you in a future version edition of Meltano to generate the infrastructure as code uh, recipes for tools like you know Helm, 
Pulumi, Terraform to manage the actual deployment on top of your, uh, your cloud infrastructure, but it allows you at a really high level to define the components that come together to form your data platform um, in a way that can be version controlled, et cetera. Right. And that's something that the data world uh, could benefit a lot from, but hasn't so far been super quick to pick up. Uh, and with our software development background, we're sort of trying to merge these worlds of, of DevOps and data, and that's where data ops uh, comes from. Yeah, thank you for the IAC uh, call. I uh, totally blanked yeah, on it. No, that, that sounds really cool, um, especially if it's repeatable and you can um, throw it yeah. through your entire infrastructure like that. I would and say someone can locally like make changes and verify that they do what they want it like without needing to just press a button in production, cross your fingers and hope you didn't break something. And that is something where, you know, when I said earlier that I started programming when I was nine, I used to just FTP into a web server and make live changes to PHP files and then check in the browser whether it still worked in production and there was no concept of isolated environments or nothing and in some way the uh, data space is uh, easily 10 years behind on, uh, on on the software development space while the requirements for you know really high confidence that whatever's live in production actually works are just the same yep totally if you're ready i, I think we've kind of described it well enough demo yeah, let's do it. Uh, I'll go ahead and share my screen. Uh, yeah, while, while you're sharing that, I'm just going to pop up once again. So you guys, um, if you're looking for jobs still, there's uh, boards.greenhouse.io slash Meltano or it's Meltano.com slash jobs. Oh, there and, you go. I was like, there's a vanity URL. <laughs> and um, if you want to... If you want to share some more links, uh, the easiest way to get involved is just to join Slack, meltano.com slash Slack, which gets you an invite to the workspace. Uh, and definitely go to github.com slash Meltano if you want to star or otherwise be involved with the project. Right. Um, so I think source, my screen right? is sharing. Yeah, it's all open source. And we uh, don't currently have a commercial offering, although we are working on a managed Meltano solution for all of those people that are not comfortable self-managing their entire data platform, uh, which we plan to launch uh, out of beta in, in early next year year. Uh, but if you're curious about that already, you can go to notano.com slash managed and sign up for the wait list and we might pick you to uh, participate in the beta. So right now it's but, all self-hosted. Um, yeah, right now it's all open source and self-hosted. Uh, okay. And uh, that's going to change over the course of the rest of the year and early next Nice. So that's that's a good call out though. Uh, it would have been useful for me to make that explicit before, but uh, right now it's very much a community sort of labor of love. Everyone runs it by themselves, and we have a lot of people helping us make it amazing. And then in the next stage, uh, we'll uh, we'll be making sure that people who are not comfortable self managing can also find success with Meltano. So let's just get to the demo. Without further ado, um, I have a feeling about... yours is probably going to be so detailed. We might want to go full screen with this, and let me know if that just drives anyone nuts. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, so as I've been saying, Notano is in some sense a data platform as code. So that means that we are going to build an end-to-end -end data platform now with everything from extract to load, transformation, um, to the actual analysis you know, dashboard that allows us to learn from the data we have loaded into the warehouse. And the specific uh, use case we're trying to solve for is one where you are an engineering team and you want to start analyzing some of the activity in your GitHub repo, um, like in this, uh, in this demo scenario, just figuring out how many commits you're seeing per day with also the ability to spit that up for engineer, etc. So the first thing we need to do is get this data out of um, GitHub. But before we go there, we need to actually create a new Meltano project. So the only preparation things I've done is install the Meltano uh, commands or command line interface, which you can do locally with a pip install Meltano, or if you want to install it into a um, different 
virtual environments, you can do pip install pip x, followed by pip x install Meltano. But I've already done this. So for me, the Meltano command is just uh, available to run. Pip install, um, is this like Python or? Oh, yeah, that's a good call. It's uh, it's Python. Uh, you can pip install. You can find instructions on their website. Uh, if you're on a Mac, it would be something like Mac install Python pip, whatever. Brew. Pretty much if you have Python, you'll have pip, pip as well. Yeah. yeah it would be brew install on a Mac. So once you have the Meltano command, uh, what we got to do is we can create a new Meltano project, which we do with the Meltano init command. Um, and in this demo, I'm going to call it speedrun because this is essentially a 25 minute, you know, building an end-to-end -end platform, which is the fastest you'll ever see anyone build a data platform, um, hence the speedrun. So now that we have the um, project directory created, you can see on the left here, the speedrun directory show up. And here it suggests that we CD into it. And then once we do that, um, inside the context of this directory, when we use the Meltano command, it knows it's acting within the context of the project. And inside the speedrun directory, Meltano actually started with uh, a bunch of files, the most important one being Meltano.yaml, which is the YAML definition of the, um, of the project. And this is where all of the plugins and components and configuration we're going to be adding will end up. So the first thing to add is the singer tab for GitHub, which will know how to connect with the API and pull out all the relevant data. So the command here is Meltano add extractor tab GitHub. And once we run that, um, you'll see that it prints some links that we can learn more, like the documentation on the hub. Uh, but behind the scenes, it's installing this package into a virtual environment. But Meltano abstracts all of these details away um, so that the user only needs to think about what components do I want and not necessarily the you know, how each tool wants to be installed or configured. So now we've got tab GitHub um, and we need to configure it to look at our own Meltano slash Meltano repository. So what we can do is use Meltano config tab GitHub list to list all the available configuration options. And as you can see, those are access token, repository and start date. Uh, so let's go ahead and give some of those some values. The repo in question is going to be Meltano slash Meltano hit return and it succeeds. And then the start date, uh, I'm just gonna use the history here, is going to be the 2nd of June. Although why not just make it the first so that we get data for the last 23 days. And if we now run that Meltano config list command again, you'll see that it has values for repository here and start date. The only one that's still missing is the access token. Um, but I am not going to type that right now for you because uh, it's, it's private information. But if we look up here, what you can see is that this configuration ended up in the YAML file. And that's something that you want to do when it's you know, not sensitive. It's something that's going to be the case for everyone who uses the project, but the access token might be different between different engineers and in production, you would use a different one as well. So the best way to insert or inject sensitive um, tokens like that is through an environment variable. And here in the output at the bottom, you can see uh, where I'm selecting it right now, tap underscore GitHub underscore access underscore token. If you give that a value, then um, tap GitHub will know what to connect with. So in my case, I actually already put this into a file called dot and GitHub, uh, which I'm going to load into the current shell context um, for when I'm going to run the command. I'm not going to rerun Meltano config tap GitHub list because then you would actually see the token printed, uh, but just assume that GitHub will be able to pick it up. The next thing we got to do is tell GitHub which of the of all of the data that's available from the API um, we're actually interested in. And we can do that by running Meltano select tap GitHub dash dash list dash dash all. This is going to print all of the available tables and columns that we could be pulling from the GitHub API, but we don't need all of these. For this demo, we only need commits 
So if I scroll through this, you can see teams, stargazers, reviews, releases, pull requests, projects. As you can see, this is a lot of data. And if we just want to grab the commits per day, we don't need all of this um, at all. So what we can do now is use that same Meltano select command to say that we only want commits. And then inside the commits table, we want all of the columns, which is the second star uh, flag. There's one little thing I want to point out here, which is that when we set that configuration for repository and start date, it ended up not under the plugin definition here, but rather under environments here, because this is dev-specific configuration. And there might be situations where in staging or in production, you'll want to pull data for more repositories, or you'll want to go further back on the start date. But this is environment-specific config. But the fact that we're only interested in commits is not environment-specific. So in the command here at the bottom, I'm going to add no environment to the start. And if we hit it, you can see that it was now added here under the main plugin definition at the top level so that it will be used regardless of the environment uh, we are running in. And the default environment is dev, but in a production environment, you would override that property um, by setting an environment variable called Meltano environment to the name of the desired environment. Very meta, uh, it's environments all the way down. But either way, um, if we run this command that we ran a second ago, Meltano selects that GitHub list all without the all, it will actually tell us the currently selected um, tables and, co and columns under the configuration we just added. And as expected, it says selected attributes are only all of the properties inside the commits table, uh, which as you can see includes the author information, you know, a URL to find this information on the website and some other stuff. So now the project is essentially ready to start pulling data from GitHub, but we also need to tell it where that data should go. Um, that's the other thing that I set up uh, externally outside of this, uh, this demo, which is a Snowflake instance. And I've got those connection information uh, somewhere in another screen, but that's the only part of your data platform right now that Meltano does not take over for you, uh, which is the data warehouse, which might be Snowflake or BigQuery or in some kind of you know, starter situation, even Postgres can do the job um, if you don't want to go through setting up a Snowflake account. But in order for your Meltano project to be able to connect with Snowflake, we need to add the loader called Target Snowflake. So Meltano at loader target Snowflake. And just like tap GitHub, this is uh, written to the Singer specification. And this is part of that large library of more than 300 sources and destinations that um, are supported by community maintained connectors and supported by Meltano out of the box. So when we hit return here, you can see it uh, once again lists the, the links where you can learn more. And it's installing that Python package behind the scenes. But the fact that it's a Python package is expected away and not something you really need to worry about. Dowie. Can I? Sorry to interrupt. Um, actually, let me let me go on screen so I'm totally not lost. Uh, at this point, even though it's installing some things, it's basically all just YAML, correct? Like this is yeah okay yeah. This Meltano YAML file um, <clears throat> completely defines your data platform. All these commands have been running essentially just modify this YAML file, and you okay. can choose whether you want to go to the command line first uh, and use those commands, or you just want to go into the YAML file and modify it as you like. Perfect. So when I run Meltano install, it does actually, uh, or Meltano add rather, it does install that package behind the scenes inside this .meltano directory here at the top under loaders. But since it started with a dot, this is uh, supposed to be not checked into version control uh, because this is specific to the environment where Meltano is running. It's the YAML definition that ultimately um, you know, defines the data platform. Perfect. I, uh, I just so this wanted to make sure we weren't like NPM installing all over the place or something like that. So, okay, thanks. 
No, so when, once you make a Git repo out of this, the only things that will be included are the Meltano YAML file, these other files on the left, uh, and then these folders, except for .meltano, which is generated automatically whenever you deploy Meltano or when someone installs it on their local machine and installs all the, the related plugins. Cool. Um, we have a question, so, too, if, if you it. want to take just a second. So um, is there a particular data source that's most commonly used with Meltano between all the ones that you listed? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think if you were to look at the data, a lot of people use Meltano for sort of marketing data, advertising, you know, effectiveness. So Facebook ads and, and Google ads are pretty big ones. Salesforce is another really big one. If you're tracking all kinds of, you know, customer information there or lead information, you want to run analytics over that. But like I mentioned, there's more than 300 sources supported. GitHub is a popular target uh, source as well. Um, on the data destination side, it's definitely Snowflake and probably BigQuery that are most popular as uh, data warehouses. Awesome, thanks. Cool. So now we have Target Snowflake in the project, but of course we haven't configured it yet. Um, and as we just discussed, you can choose whether you want to use the Meltano config CLI to do that, or you can just straight up modify the Meltano YAML file. So um, I just for, for speed and for showing multiple modes, I will go ahead and copy in uh, this little config block here, which already has a bunch of values in here. Um, the name here is Taylor, our head of product and data. He was kind enough to lend me uh, the, the database he had already set up. But when I save this Meltano YAML file and I run Meltano config target snowflake list, you'll see that it will have picked up those values. Um, if I scroll all the way up, you can see there's a lot of options and supports. Uh, there's a lot of things you can tweak about exactly how the database is created inside Snowflake or the tables rather. But all the way at the top here, we've got the key ones, account, DB name, username, password, etc. Um, and you can see the values that I just put into the YAML file here. Once again, the password is currently set to none, and I'm going to override it with that target Snowflake password uh, environment variable key. And I'm going to use the source command again to load the context of um, the file and Snowflake, which just contains a number of export statements, including export target Snowflake password equals the actual password. So once I run this, Meltano should be able to pick it up from the environment. And um, if we were to run Meltano config target Snowflake now, it would include the password. So now we're all ready to run an extract and load pipeline that will take data from GitHub and put it into Snowflake. And we've got the Meltano run command for that. That takes the uh, name of all the plugins you want to run sequentially. So in our case, that's going to be tap GitHub followed by target Snowflake. The dbt Snowflake stuff, you can ignore for the moment. That's uh, a later step I'll get to in a second. But it's it's in uh, light gray because it's autocomplete. Not what I'm actually running. So when I hit return, Meltano will uh, take the tap, which will connect with the GitHub API. It will take the target, which will connect with Snowflake. And then the tap GitHub will start streaming uh, messages it finds in the commits um, GitHub API endpoint to target Snowflake to drop in that database table uh, or in the database schema called speedrun in a table called commits. So if you're looking at what's happening here, you can see that it's putting this file onto Snowflake and then it finishes and it sets loading, uh, let's see, loading 129 rows into speed one commits. That means that since the beginning of the month, there were 129 commits made, and now they should all be in Snowflake. So let's quickly verify that. Um, I have installed SnowSQL, which is the tool you can use to connect with a Snowflake instance. And I've already set up the environment variables so that it knows what to connect with. So it's in a second, it should give me the, uh, the SQL prompt. And I'm going to copy in a query from the other screen I've got open which will select the SDC repository fields, um, the SHA of the commit, the author and date, the author name, uh, the message itself, and then it will show the last five commits. So I'll hit return. 
And here you go. This is coming from our Snowflake database. 10 minutes ago, this was just in the GitHub API. And now with just a tiny little bit of code in the YAML file and uh, less than 20 uh, command line uh, invocations, um, we have this data in Snowflake where we want it. But it's not quite in a format yet that is very amenable to analysis. Like if we want to figure out how many commits there were per date, it's going to be difficult in a tool like Superset to group by commits, author, date, which is like a deeply nested um, object. And we want to transform this database schema into something that uh, has just the data we're looking for. That's where dbt comes in. dbt, as I described earlier, stands for dbt, uh, stands for data build tool, and it allows you to transform data inside the warehouse using SQL. So we will add the transformer a dbt snowflake, which is dbt pre-configured to connect with the Snowflake instance. And you can see in Meltano YAML, if we scroll down, that a new option ended up under transformers here. And on the left, the transform directory just got a bunch of files. dbt um, has a product directory with a dbt project YAML file and a models folder that will contain all of the SQL transformations. So there's a couple of things that we need to do in order to make dbt connect with the raw data that ended up in Snowflake. Um, and the first thing is to add a GitHub directory here because that's the, well, that's a file I'm adding, not a directory. Let's add GitHub. And then a sources.yaml, which will tell yeah, um, dbt what the name of the sort of raw data, um, the raw database table is. So I've pasted it in from another screen again. Um, as you can see, the database and the schema me meets or match what I set up earlier. And then we're saying to look at the commits table. And this will be referenceable then from the SQL transformation we'll get to in a second. So we will now add the actual SQL file, which we'll call GitHub underscore commits. And the name of that file is going to be the name of the, the new table once the data has been transformed. So the exact SQL query I'm bringing in from the outside again. And what you can see here is that it defines source as basically um, asking, this is, this is not SQL itself, of course. These are little curly braces, which means that it's templating going on. And we're actually calling out to a Python function, which will parse the source's YAML file um, and find out that the GitHub source and the commits table needs to be looked for in this database and schema. This means that you can change this depending on the environment or without actually having to change the SQL query itself. And then once we have the source to represent the raw data, uh, we write the SQL query here that will rename STC repository to just repository. The SHA field is copied over as normal. And then we've got timestamp, author, and message to represent those deeply nested fields. And all of the other fields that we were pulling in uh, are just dropped or ignored. So we can save this. And then there's one final step we need to take, which is inside the dbt project YAML directory, uh, or file rather, where at the bottom here, we have a list of models. And inside the Meltano project, we need to tell it that we've just defined a new model for GitHub. Uh, we're telling it that the database it should look at is the um, dbt snowflake database configuration option, which lines up with the, where is this? Did I skip a step? I did skip a quick step. <laughs> Let's fix that. So a second ago, we added all of these configuration properties to Snowflake, to target Snowflake, so it knows where to connect with. Now we need to tell dbt the same thing. So I'm gonna copy in another config um, list here. And these are all the properties that dbt needs in order to connect. And this database property is then referred to from here so that um, dbt will know where to look. It's a little bit annoying that this is duplicated right now. And we do have some issues on our roadmap to allow you to define all of these uh, database warehouse, data warehouse connections in one place in your YAML file that uh, tools like target Snowflake and dbt 
can then just learn from instead of having this to be uh, repeated each time. But uh, for the moment, this is a tiny bit of duplication we need. At least it's all in one file and much easier to manage. So now we have all of these updated files and we can run this pipeline. So once again, we will start with the step and target Snowflake, but now we're gonna follow it with that dbt Snowflake step. So now this is a proper extract load transform pipeline or ELT. So when I have return, this is uh, going to run those in sequentially. And it's smart enough to know that tap GitHub was already ran like five minutes ago, and it's going to do an incremental replication, meaning it will only load uh, commits that were added between those runs instead of doing everything again from scratch, which is why it talks about incremental state here and why you saw it being a lot faster than it was uh, when I run it previously. So then after the, um, let's see here, after the block run for the EL is complete, it starts running dbt, and then dbt at the end says completed successfully, which suggests that it was actually able to trans uh, perform that transformation in the database. So let's prove that once more by opening up SnowSQL. And then the query I'm going to be running uh, doesn't need to be copy pasted in because it's so much simpler. It's just select star from uh, GitHub commits. I'll use the autocomplete here. And then let's just do limit five so we can see the last five again. And then, okay, the, the table collapsed on itself a little bit. Um, actually, if I just do, well, share repository message author, uh, will that be short enough? Let me just drop repository to make sure it fits on the screen nicely. Uh, actually, we want the timestamp as well. Well, I don't think I help much with making it fit in the screen, but either way you can see that these are the same uh, commit information listed, but this time the column names are actually the, the ones we've set in the transformation and we don't get all of that other information that's in the table. Um, and now we can more easily run queries against this table if we just want to group by timestamp or we want to look for unique authors instead of needing to do the um, deeply nested sort of hash unwrapping we were doing previously. So we can run queries, that's really cool. Yeah, go for it, question. I'm not hearing you, you're muted, Alex. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> um, so one quick question. I'm kind of like either oblivious or I missed a step or something. Are you connecting out to actual databases or is this all like locally you're able to do this? So Snowflake is a SaaS data warehouse. Uh, so I'm, I'm connecting to an actual data warehouse running somewhere externally from my machine. Uh, but I could have also done the demo with Postgres. In, and in that case, I would have set up Postgres locally. But uh, it, it's more typical to use a production-grade data warehouse like a uh, Snowflake. So that's uh, the credential added here. And that's enough for DBT Snowflake and Target Snowflake to know what to connect with. Are you able to connect to like MariaDB? Um, yeah, there's a, my, there's a target MySQL, which supports both MySQL and MariaDB. Uh, and if you go to uh, hub.notano.com slash loaders, you'll see a lot of database technologies and, and as well as file formats listed there um, that are proper destinations that are supported by any singer tab. The nice thing is okay. that it's, you know, any target works with any tab. So you can build a target and then every data source can immediately be dumped in there without having to do any source specific work. Awesome. Um, so definitely check out that list of uh, different supported sources and destinations on the hub. So the final thing I wanna do here, if there's no immediate questions is actually build a dashboard that shows this information because I don't wanna be running this query constantly. So I'm exiting outside of the um, Snow SQL prompt again, and now I'm back to the Meltano directory and I will install this BI tool called Superset. So it's Meltano at Utility Supersets, uh, which as always prints a couple links explaining where you can learn more about it. 
and then it installs the packages behind the scenes. Uh, Superset is a really great open source BI solution that allows you to put together dashboards and graphs, um, and it also supports Snowflake and a lot of these other data warehouses, uh, as we will see in a second once it's installed. There is going to be one more thing we need to do, though, because if you look in the code here at the top, you can see these uh, three lines here, which were added by that Meltano app command. Um, and the pip URL right now only installs Superset and this other little package that was just needed to make the um, version resolution work. But since Superset can connect with a lot of different databases, but it doesn't actually contain those bits um, by default because that would make it very, very bulky. We have to explicitly to this pip URL, which is literally what will be run after pip install when Meltano installs the plugin. We got to add Snowflake SQL Alchemy here so that Superset will know that it has everything necessary to connect with the Snowflake instance. So when we save the Meltano YAML file, it won't automatically update the uh, Superset installation. So we need to separately run Meltano, install utility Superset to reinstall it based on that new pip URL definition. Um, and when that is done in a second, there's just two more things we need to do to set up Superset. And then we can launch into the interface and I will show you the dashboard there. So we've got to be a little bit patient. This is uh, downloading actual packages off the wire. This is where we tell like dad jokes, I think, or something. <laughs> Go for it. I, I gotta remember. You got any good one lined up? Uh, um, why? Oh, gosh, how is it? Why do they call or what do they call a seagull that flies by the bay? A bagel. A bagel. <laughs> I got it. I didn't say it right, but it was close. Oh my god. All right. Uh, amazing Taylor content. I think we should go back to the screen share because uh Superset has been installed. Now he's like, get, get me off. Seriously. No, I'm just sensitive of the, the fact that we're running into the end of the, 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 the time and I want to make sure I actually get to show the dashboard. This, this shouldn't take long though. Um, so now Superset is installed. You can see it here in your Meltano YAML file. Um, there's two things we need to do. So since it's a web interface, it has like user management and we need to actually add an admin user, which we can do with Superset um, colon create admin. This is going to take a few moments to run, but because behind the scenes, it's setting up the entire execution environment for Superset, which includes building a new um, metadata database for Superset to use and generating the configuration file that the Superset uses based on the configuration that Meltano has managed for it. But now it's asking me for the username, and I'm just going to pick the uh, default of admin. First name can also be admin, last name user, why not? Email admin at fab, and then the password will just use admin as well. It's not showing up on the prompt, but I promise I typed it. So now we have an admin user. Um, now I want to launch straight into Superset UI, but there's one more thing we got to do, which is to configure the database connection string inside Superset, which is not currently something that can be done just from the YAML file, but that is something we're working on because we want that to be configured uh, just at the same place that we have all the other Snowflake config. But for the moment, that requires a step inside the Superset UI. But since I don't want to show you all the password for this, um, for this uh, Snowflake database, there's one quick extra trick I'm going to do which is to add a configuration file for Superset that allows us to override um, its, its, its password source, essentially, to read it from the environment, just like we've been doing for Target Snowflake and DBT Snowflake. So inside the analyze directory, where we keep all of the Meltano project files related to analysis, we're going to create a Superset directory. Um, and then in here, Superset config.py. This, this file name is completely arbitrary. It can be whatever we want, uh, but this is uh, sort of the recommended pattern that Superset recommends. So what I've just pasted in here um, actually sets a custom password store 
pointing it at this method. And this method does nothing else than reading this variable from the environment. So I'm saving this and then superset should be able to um, take it from the end instead of from the hard-coded string that I'll type into the user interface. There's one final thing to do because Meltana doesn't know yet where the superset config uh, path uh, or file is stored. So if I run this command, Meltano, no environment, config, superset, set, config, path, analyze, superset, superset, config, it will show up in a Meltano YAML file here. And that will tell Meltano that when it's generating supersets config, it should also include the configuration options that were put into this file. And I included no environment because we want this to be in the top level superset definition, not the environment specific definition that we have here that we've only used for Cap GitHub. All right, so now we should finally be ready to launch the superset UI, which we do with Meltano invoke superset colon UI. Um, the colon here means that we're using a commands uh, shortcut behind the scenes. This is running a really long like web server command with all kinds of port flags and whatever else, uh, but we have shortcutted that as superset UI so that, so that Meltano users don't need to worry about that. And then in a second, this will um, actually have this interface up and running on port 8088, which is the default. So I'm gonna stop screen sharing here and I'll share. We will be able to see um, the actual superset UI pickup. So this is not working now. And when I do a refresh, it's still taking some time, but here we've got the superset user interface. So I'll type in the same credentials I uh, just created on the command line. And then we've got um, superset interface here. The first thing we got to do is define the database we wanted to connect with. So we go to data at the top, uh, which brings us to the databases tab. And there's an add database button on the right here. Um, the database we want to add is of type Snowflake. So we pick that option here. And then either you can fill in each field independently, but I'm actually going to pick the option at the bottom here that allows us to enter a SQL Alchemy URL. I'm zooming in a little bit to make this easier to read, um, which I have on my clipboard already. So let me paste it in here. And as you can see, this has all of the same little bits in it that we previously configured inside uh, Meltano itself, just you know, formatted as a URI. And notably, the password is missing because I wrote that code that actually reads it from the environment instead. So if I hit test connection now, fingers crossed, it will tell us connection looks good, amazing. Um, I, I, when I was practicing the demo, it didn't always work on the first try. So I'm really glad that uh, that the demo gods are on my side today. <laughs> so uh, I'll hit the connect button and then in a second, this will show up on the list here. Awesome. So now the next store, the next step is to define the data set. So we go to the data sets tab, hit add data set, and then we're telling it that we want to look into the Snowflake uh, database. The schema we're going to use is going to be the speed run we created earlier. And then inside the speed run schema, we've got that commits table that uh, we just populated using um, Tap, tap GitHub and target Snowflake. And we have GitHub commits, which is the one that is modified by DBT to be a little bit easier to use for analysis. So that's the one we're going to use now. And then if I hit the add button here at the bottom of the screen, uh, we should see that added to the list here. It's taking a little time. I don't know what it's doing. Uh, let me just look at the logs behind the scenes. Okay, it is working. It just takes a bit. Awesome. So now we have the GitHub commits data set to find here but I think it was complaining here because I clicked the button twice and I didn't like that. Um, next step then is to create the dashboard, which we're just going to call engineering because it's mostly gonna be engineering that cares about commits per day. Hit the save button. Now we have a dashboard called engineering. Now we can define the chart. So here on the charts page, we hit add chart. The data set we're gonna use is that same GitHub commits. Let's go for a time series line chart, which is explained here but that all sounds good. Create new chart. 
And immediately it has select, uh, realized that the timestamp column is the one that it should use for the time dimension. And then the metric we care about is going to be a count on all the rows essentially. So the column we use doesn't really matter that much, but let's pick a unique one like SHA. And then the aggregate is gonna be count. And then if I hit save and then run query, we have a graph showing commits per day. Um, you can guess when we released Matana 2.0. If you were to say uh, June 8th or 9th, you would definitely be right. There was a lot of sort of last minute stuff that went in. Um, let's call it commit per day. Save it here. Automatically add it to the engineering dashboard. Go to the dashboard. And we have built a dashboard showing commits per day in less than 30 minutes uh, with wow. everything almost everything managed inside one Git repo from extract and load to transformation and the configuration of the superset BI interface. Um, there's a couple caveats I want to add, which is that it really shouldn't be necessary to manually configure these databases and data sets because Notano has all of this knowledge already. So in the next iteration of our superset integration, we um, plan to automate some of this uh, configuration as well. And the other thing to point out is that while everything else we showed earlier was managed inside that Git repo and version controllable, the dashboards and charts currently aren't. So these only survive in the same environment where you uh, set up supersets because they're stored inside the superset database, which by default is a local uh, SQLite database inside the .NOTANO directory, but in a production environment that would be more likely to be a Postgres database. Uh, but that is also something we intend to change in the next iteration of the superset integration so that everything end-to-end -end from the EL config to the BI graphs and dashboards uh, is version controllable and easily testable on your local machine and staging in production and uh, everywhere else you might want it. So I'm just going to finish on that, uh, that engineering dashboard and, uh, for the screenshot purposes, and then um, I will stop the screen sharing. Awesome. awesome. Definitely pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thankfully, the uh, demo gods were with you today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was really good. Thanks for the quick overview. That was very, very speedy. <laughs> um, if you don't mind, if, if that GitHub that you just kind of, or Git repo that you just created is, is public, or if you can make it public, we'll drop it in our show notes and people can take a look at yeah. it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to do that uh, for sure. Thank you so much uh, for letting me demo that. I hope it's, uh, you know, the whole point is to make the developers more comfortable doing data work and we're building a tool set the way that they, that people would expect data tools to work. Yeah. And hopefully uh, you're seeing a lot of stuff you like here and, and you won't need to be so scared off. You Google data stack and you see a hundred <laughs> tools you need to learn with right. safe buttons in production and whatever else. GCP can be very intimidating. <laughs> oh, cool. yeah. Um, so we are going to jump into our perfect picks now. Uh, Dowie, if you, if you think of some, just let us know. We'll put them in. But we'll, we'll do Brittany first. So, Britt, you are up. All right. I only remember my second one. What was my first? Oh, yeah. So big, huge. Spelt Origins documentary that got filmed back in. I was filmed in the fall. So at Svelte Summit last fall, we actually filmed this and they've been working on it and we officially launched it earlier this week and it's available to watch right now on YouTube. It is a great, great thing about the history of Svelte. It's Rich Harris going through like how all of it started all the way to the end of it, where's the community piece and how our community is small, but growing. And it's like a small town feel. I'm in it somewhere. Uh, Somewhere in there. I just want to I, show it's so our, perfect. Oh, our 20, 22, right there. There's our stickers. Perfect. Perfect dev right there. We made it. <laughs> we made it. Yep. I think but, you, I don't I know. It's a great... somewhere. There you are. Yep, right there. Yeah. 
my hair like this was awful it was like frizzy <laughs> hair crazy okay it's all good all right <laughs> your second pick has to be an inside joke of some kind that i'm just missing i don't know oh wait was that the tweet that i linked to you can you go up to the top yeah, of I can, it I can okay go up. it's the top the oh. top part of it that's okay. the the part right there okay i can't even read the tweet so <laughs> This is kind of an inside joke, but it is a peanut butter, mayonnaise, and banana sandwich. That is my pick. But I linked this tweet because I said it was something for your nightmares, Jay Lingsdorf, because he linked that Twitter post right below that, which is the peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwich. And look at the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and he throws it in the garbage. I completely agree with him. Peanut butter and mayo do not belong together. It's the consistency. So the oh, peanut man. butter sticks to your mouth and the mayonnaise cuts that. So you don't get the stickiness. So I don't know how many people are in the U.S. or if this is worldwide, but the uh, GIF like callback has really hit our home pretty hard. So oh, the finding, GIF peanut, finding butter. peanut butter is becoming challenging, at least good peanut butter. So Oh, see, I don't I don't care. I buy off brand. I'm peanut a, butter is now. short in the stores, though, for sure. <laughs> Replace mayonnaise with honey, please, Tony said. Interesting. <laughs> I'm down I with would that. Do that. I'm down with I, that. Mayo this tastes like dessert, though. <laughs> it really does. All right. Uh, my first pick <laughs> is this thing called Svelte Docks. As you it's can called Kit Docks. Yes, Svelte Kit Docks. Sorry. Um, as you can kind it of tell, Brit Brittany is uh, converting me, and we're doing our our live show is all to create Coding Cat on a Svelte front end. So I keep getting all these pings now. The like Googles have found out I'm checking out Svelte more and more. And so um, found this uh, Svelte Kit Docs, which is pretty cool. The GitHub repo kind of details a lot more on how to get started with it and what it looks like and what you can customize. But if you're into Svelte, um, as much as we are, I'll say no. Yes. As much as we are, um, check it out. And uh, if you have to make any docs for anything. Maybe maybe somebody up above me here, he might want it. I don't know. Go back to that homepage real quick. I love that they use the Svelte Lotus term that we love in the Svelte community to call ourselves Svelte Lotus. Svelte Lotus. <laughs> uh, that's a weird thing. Svelte users are henceforth to be known as Svelte Lota. Wow, Svelte Lota. <laughs> uh, my second pick hopefully is uh, connecting back a little bit to the pod today um, it's how to connect to snowflake with node.js driver so everything we kind of showed uh, pipes over into snowflake and at the end of it you can grab that and create like and maybe there's an easier way to do this but you can create your own um, apis uh, using just a node like service endpoint and stand those up I love that we're talking about Snowflake too because I own an embarrassing amount of stock that has gone down significantly. So uh, please, please go out and buy Snowflake or use Snowflake. <laughs> okay, was that was that enough time? Did we spare you enough? Do you have any perfect picks, or are you just good with the demo? I do, I do. Uh, okay. Let me go ahead and share my screen. Um, maybe not the same direction you were thinking in, but this is a super cool tool called TailScale, which some people in the community might be aware of already. Um, it's the easiest possible way to add basically arbitrary machines across the world, different internet connections into a private network together. You just install this little tool on, in my case, you know, my home, my work laptop, my personal laptop, and like my home NAS. And then wherever I am, I can just um, quickly SSH into each machine as if it was just one hop away super easily, which means that when I go on vacation and I think I don't need to work, I don't need to have lock my whole big laptop around in case I do need to work, but I can just bring my tiny little laptop. And as long as my big laptop is always on at home,
um, I can just effortlessly SSH into the bigger one or like do a, a kind of VNC style screen sharing because TillScale makes it, well, like it says, frustratingly simple to allow arbitrary devices to become part of the same uh, virtual network, um, which is which just feels super powerful. It's built on WireGuard. It's really cool technology. And it's free also for up to five users or five machines or whatever the limit is. Oops, I sorry, I didn't mean to take the screen share down. I wanted to. No, you're good. At this I point, was, I'm I was sure scrolling on mine and it wasn't moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, just a little application lives in your menu bar. It supports uh, Mac, Windows, Linux, everything, and then um, yeah, that's, no config, that's nothing. All these devices, all the devices just connect. And in uh, in work environments, it also allows you to connect with your company's network really easily or with a CI box. Um, it's it's definitely one of my favorite new technologies that I've come across. I'm really excited for your pick, honestly. This is why we do yeah, that's picks, cool. because I have a, a Mac Studio now and like in order to like chug through some videos and stuff like that, like it'd be easier to log into that on the go and get that done. So that's Yeah. Yeah, and of course you can like set up a VPN with OpenVPN or something, or you can like set some VNC server that you install on your machine. But the nice thing is that this just makes that machine a, a host name or an IP away from your own. So you can do anything you want, whether it's SSH or VNC or HTTP, it all just works. It's yeah. really, really powerful. I love it. I'm going to check that out for sure. Cool. cool. All right, Zowie, thanks so much for coming on and showing us Meltano. Thanks for having especially me. in a speedy way. I'm sure there's a lot more to it that you could show off, and you're welcome back anytime to, to show it off. Thanks. Good to hear it. And yeah, if anyone listening wants to know more, meltano.com slash Slack is the community and the open source project is on github.com slash Meltano. Perfect. All, All right. right. See you. Everybody. Take care. Bye.